Hey, listener, a quick note about today's episode. We spent some time talking about how stretched L2 works when doing active-active data centers using a Pluribus Networks fabric. Important feature when you need it. But know that Pluribus also has rich L3 overlay and underlay features that we just didn't have time to get into, at least not in the detail that we wanted. Therefore, we'll be covering more about Pluribus L3 services in our February 25th, 2022 episode, so be sure to catch that when it hits your feed. And now, enjoy today's discussion. Welcome to Heavy Networking. Data Center Fabric with sponsor Pluribus Networks is our topic today. Pluribus brought along a customer to talk about their active-active data center deployment. We'll get into stretching layer two safely. Yep, that's a thing. Operational concerns of active-active when data centers are many hundreds of miles apart and the pressure of delivering customer-facing services that drove the selection of the Pluribus architecture. Our guests are Mike Capuano, Head of Technical Marketing, and Alex Godfrey, Professional Services Engineer, both from Pluribus Networks, and they are joined by Josh Colazzo, Infrastructure Engineering Manager for Interrupt Technologies, that fancy Pluribus customer I was telling you about. And we're going to be talking mostly to Josh today, but before we chat with Josh about his network, we want to kick off with a quick refresher of the Pluribus architecture. Pluribus is an ongoing Packet Pusher sponsor, and so if you go to packetpushers.net and search for Pluribus, you're going to find some other podcasts that we've recorded with them, as well as written content about the architecture to help you understand what they do. But but still, for today, we do want to have a quick refresher that you have some context around what Josh at Interop Technologies has built using Pluribus Tech. So Mike, uh, welcome to Heavy Networking. And let's do it, man. Let's have that quick overview of Pluribus. And I I think I could summarize it, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong here. I could summarize it by it's data center fabric. That's the core product. And that really means a network operating system delivered on white box switches and then managed centrally with SDN magic. Is Is that about right, Mike? That is about right. Um, what's a little bit unique is that the SDN is a distributed SDN control plane, and it's actually built into the operating system. You can think of it as a mini SDN controller and a mini SDN state database running on every switch in the fabric. Um, at the highest level, basically, Pluribus has developed this OS for white box switches that delivers a public cloud operating model for on-prem data centers, uh, whether it's legacy workloads, virtualized workloads, containerized workloads. And the, the main operational benefit is the ability to deploy a service with one sort of declarative command, deploy, you know, create VLAN ID 110 scope fabric, and it deploys it everywhere. And so you can do that for layer two services, layer three services, Security policies, you name it, um, and that's and that's kind of the essence of uh, of the value that it delivers. But yeah, Netvisor One OS, an operating system that runs on white box switches, that in turn powers the Adaptive Cloud Fabric, our distributed SDN control plane, that uh, just makes life easy for network operations engineers who have to manage large fabrics. So, Mike, with NetVisor 1 and the white box switches, can I just like pick a supported chipset and off I go, or are there specific partners that you align with? So, we're, we're based on Broadcom. We have a very strong relationship with them uh, over the years. And our main go to market partners for white box switches are Dell, uh, Edgecore, and then we have our own line of uh, Freedom Series switches, which come pre integrated with the OS. Sort of if, if folks are looking for a single, 
throat the choke, so to speak, uh, in terms of uh, deploying data center networking infrastructure. Sing- single hand oh, to shake, Mike. Hand to shake, not throat <laughs> to choke. That's what I meant. Single hand to shake. Single, yeah, sure. single, single back to pat. <laughs> And then, Mike. Uh, so we've got the the, the Netvisor One OS you mentioned, and the, but you also have a formal product, the Adaptive Cloud Fabric, or is that just a feature of the OS? It's it's a separate license, um, but it is built into the OS, and that is effectively the SDN control plane. So that you can deploy uh, the Netvisor OS as a standalone OS. Basically, looks like Cumulus. You know, build a fabric with BGP VPN if you want, or you can activate the adaptive cloud fabric SDN control plane, which just makes life easier. And that is really what brings sort of this public cloud uh, intent-based slash declarative operating model to to the on-prem data center. And then last question about your architecture. If I want to do monitoring, do you have a platform for me or do I build out my own thing with, I don't know, Grafana and Prometheus or something? Yeah. uh, So... um, you know what? What we do have built into this solution, which is just icing on top of the cake from uh, when we talk to our customers, is per flow telemetry for every flow that can traverse the fabric, um, and we can export that out to either our own product called Insight Analytics, which is a graphical user interface dashboard, uh, Elasticsearch database, or you can export that flow metadata out to other tools, and then. Sort of related, we also have a virtualized packet broker function that can uh, mirror, you know, replicate packets and, and steer those packets across the fabric to security or monitoring tools as well. Okay. And just to chime in too, actually, uh, with those flows, not only do we have the capability of exporting them to Unum, but if you needed to see the data raw on the switches, we actually have the capability of filtering and viewing that uh, live within NetVisor OS as well. So kind of an extra little piece. So between Alex, what you just said and what, what, uh, Mike, the way you described this, this, this is a, a product with some maturity that's built a lot of features, uh, on top of just the core value here. And now that I think about it, how, how long has players been around? It's been, it's more than five years, isn't it? Uh, go, it's about 11, 2010. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Josh, let's move the conversation over to you. You're the, you're the customer here. You're the pluribus consumer. And I guess we need some background on Interop Technologies, your company, to give us some context of what you've built here. What, what does Interop do? Give us a little bit about uh, business and the history. Not a long time, but just enough so we kind of understand the operating environment that we're going to be discussing. Sure. So um, Interop Technologies is a, uh, a mobile messaging company, effectively. So uh, we've got several suites of products, but all of their focus is around enabling mobile messaging. So whether that's a, a, a kind of old school, traditional SMSC, MMSC platforms, um, you know, short code platforms, uh, and then kind of the newer technologies um, that you see in the mobile messaging space, RCS, what's called MAP or, uh, you know, messages a platform uh, for hosting chat bots. Um, so that's kind of we, and, and if you will, several ancillary technologies around that, you know, certainly that's kind of our, our forte. That's what we deliver. Um, and we deliver these solutions, you know, in a, uh, if you will, in our cloud uh, or a, a hosted solution that we provide. Uh, and then we also uh, deploy uh, kind of turnkey platforms or platforms into customer data centers uh, or in public cloud spaces, if you will. So you're not just 
a software shop that is delivering mobile messaging software out to endpoints um, for whoever your customers might be. You're actually the messaging infrastructure itself in some cases? Sure. Yeah. So we can deploy it as a pure kind of software solution, uh, you know, but but normally we'll deploy, you know, the full stack hardware, you know, build it out, put it in a data center or from a, a cloud perspective, you can connect to our data centers, which is really kind of the, uh, you know, the subject matter of, uh, of this discussion, right? Mm-hmm. That's where we implemented uh, the Pluribus technology was in the data centers that, uh, that my team manages, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. controls. So go ahead and tell us about those data centers then. We, we were talking active, active in data centers, and you got, you got yeah. me all excited for sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, lay it on us. Yeah, so uh, just a little background, maybe to kind of uh, lay out. We've got, a, uh, we've got a pair of data centers here in the U.S. Uh, we, for, we, we also have a, uh, a data center facility in the U.K., for, but that's um, kind of out of bounds for this discussion. Um, so our deployment or this deployment is really for our U.S. data centers. And uh, we have one in the uh, DFW area and one in uh, Florida. And uh, so that's, and, and those two data centers in the U.S. are where we've deployed this solution um, and, and have all of our applications hosted out of, if you will. So, and so for those of you that are not familiar with U.S. geography, Florida is southeast of the U.S. and DFW, you're talking the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas, which would be South Central U.S., and those would be thousands of miles apart, several hundreds of uh, miles apart? I want to say about 1,200, somewhere oh, okay. in that neighborhood, 1,200, okay. 1,300 miles. Uh, and you, so. Uh, so that's, a, that's a substantial distance. That's not like the 50 milliseconds distance between data centers that most people are looking for. Right, right. So it, it's, yeah, that is substantial. Uh, you're looking at round trips of somewhere in the neighborhood of about you know 35 to 38 milliseconds. Uh, between the two data centers. Now we do have, you know, discrete uh, ELAN circuits between them, you know, that give us, you know, uh, guaranteed great performance, if you will, and, and high capacity. But yeah, it's it's certainly higher than, uh, you know, the 50 mile or just, you know, separate floodplain, if you will, that you see in data center clusters, like, uh, for instance, like an AWS availability zone separation. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Now you say active-active, do you truly mean active active whereas where an application is alive and taking processing transactions in both data centers at the same time yeah so uh so that's kind of the interesting drive into our discussion about the solution but uh yes both data centers are active uh and and hosting applications in both data centers live traffic taking them in reads and writes in both locations so it's that means not the a, application it's, is aware that there's multiple active data centers and there's record level replication going on, but the network connectivity needs to be there. Correct. And, and, you know, as it relates to kind of some of the genesis and looking at this solution, uh, the adaptive cloud fabric and, and things that drove that, you know, as a company, you know, Interop's been around for, for some time. And so we, you know, certainly, all of our newer applications, you know, things that we've spun up and worked on, that 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 has in its initial design, build, if you will, and deployment, the capability to do that. Now you've got some older applications that have a more traditional kind of uh, active passive uh, or a uh, active warm standby in their deployment, and so that's that's what we, uh, as we looked at this, uh, 
you know, adaptive cloud fabric and kind of came back to, well, how can we improve the RTO of those applications, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with without going back through and and saying, yes, these are, uh, and, and it's, and if you will, I'm sure it's, it's something that, that all businesses kind of struggle with, right? You've got uh, revenue generating application, but is it enough to do all the refactor work that would be required to enhance it to to give you these, some of these cloud capabilities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of the struggle, you know, in in analyzing kind of you know what sh- what we should do to improve the RTO for these things, uh, and and really kind of brought to the table the hey, you know, we we have an idea. It's going to take this much money, this much time, this much development if if we refactor or mm-hmm. Can we go back and can we do something from an infrastructure perspective? Can we do something from a network perspective? And and let's dig into, you know, is it one, is it capable, you know, is it possible to accomplish this? Uh, and then will our application work, right? And and get an improved RTO. You had to stretch layer two in some cases then, didn't you? Yes. Yes, we did. We found that that was going to be, and, and I guess a, a better way of saying it, from a business perspective, when we went back in and, uh, as I mentioned, said, you know, can this be done? It was a, well, let's, you know, let's dig into, uh, can we make this work? Is there some technology out there that can give us, uh, that can not require me to go back to my development manager and say, you've, you've got to bite the bullet on this, you know, couple of years worth of rewrites <laughs> and testing and, you know, on this older application that, you know, that, that for all intents and purposes is, you know, it's not where all our, our newer code is, action is happening, right? So, so there's, there's lots of business things going into, you know, why we, we went back and said, well, let's just look at it, take it at, its, at, at how it's architected today. And mm-hmm. how it's architected today works really cleanly, works really great, is really resilient. Uh, and, and the challenge now is, can I, can I just extend it? Instead of having an A and B cabinet in one data center, can I stretch that capability to have the A cabinet in one data mm-hmm. center and the B cabinet be in a, if you will, a far data center, not not something that that gives me less than 10 milliseconds of, of latency, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was kind of the we said if we if we can accomplish that, then there's no refactoring. I get all the benefits of of what's already been built in and and how we know how to manage this older application. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, the, so so that's kind of so what's that's, that's the business that. requirements. That's what we need to do. Right. But the challenge is from a networking perspective is that that's vulnerable because we know that when we extend layer two domains, we also extend the blast radius. We become vulnerable to layer two loops. We become vulnerable to faulty NICs broadcasting in a given domain and that gets propagated. So I guess the question I want to know is, is knowing that, you know, it's a requirement and if we can solve it, the business is going to eat that up. The question I have is how did you address the risk? How did Pluribus come to the table and say, give you the opportunity to reduce those risks and to make it easily operatable so that you can, like a lot of times when you configure layer two data center interconnects, you end up with a weird situation where you can't touch anything because for fear of causing a problem. So with that one, Greg, I think I can I can field the response. Um, what we're looking at really in a, in a circumstance like that is, you know, a, a lot of people talk, the stretching of that broadcast domain, stretching of potential storms, uh, things to that effect. And and realistically, we've got a few different uh, variables in our 
um, kind of portfolio <laughs> of, uh, of, of, of options available. And so just kind of taking it low level first from a layer two perspective, when we talk about the adaptive cloud fabric, a lot of these deployments uh, kind of work on a layer three underlay. So when we're talking about switch to switch connectivity, they're mm-hmm. going to be routed. Um, your your traffic may still be a stretch layer two functionality, but the layer two broadcast domain kind of limited to that switch because we've got layer three connectivity. Yeah, uh, so these. that's this is this use of eVPN overlays, but tunneling L2 over the top of layer three. So right. I think what you're, uh, the issue here is that the, the layer two broadcast domain is isolated or segmented, if you like, into, mm-hmm. a, into a thing. So you can actually just have it so, you know, before what we used to do is extend VLANs from one data center to another and the spanning tree would go with it. But in this situation, your EVPN right. means that your layer two loops don't happen because EVPN doesn't let you really. That's not yeah, absolutely and, true, but, you know. And even in circumstances where we're not utilizing EVPN uh, with the, the Pluribus NetVisor uh, mm-hmm. OS, we've actually got uh, additional functionality built into it. So when we join switches to an adaptive cloud fabric, they all share uh, a vPort table amongst themselves that basically indicates this IP, right. this MAC is located on that host. So when you actually go to send a broadcast packet, if we do need to, you know, uh, ARPs are, are fairly common when you have, have mm-hmm. a larger scale network, that packet can actually be restricted if another switch has resolved it already because that vPort table effectively proxies that ARP request. So that way you don't have to then broadcast that traffic. And then outside of our fabric, you know, if there was a storm that was somehow being injected into us, we've got control plane protection in place on those ports to limit uh, the rate at which that traffic can actually come in. So what you're effectively saying there is that the Pluribus solution's got some features and functionality, just to summarize it, that would de-risk a lot of the L2 data center extension. You're not using... 30-year-old protocols that were just not designed for this spanning tree of various ilks and various extensions to spanning tree. You're actually saying you've got hooks in your in the Pluribus NetVisor that actually says, yeah, we recognize this is a layer two data center interconnected. We can de-risk this to some level. Exactly. Alex, we, we mentioned EVPN VXLAN along the way. Is that in fact what Pluribus uses or is it something like that? Uh, it is something like that, depending on the deployment. So we we do have the capability of uh, BGP VPN uh, that is typically utilized for cross-connecting multiple fabrics together. Uh, but within a fabric, EVPN is not a necessity because of our vPort tables. Uh, we have that avil- ability of kind of proxying those connections locally, and they just kind of manage the, the entries themselves within each switch. They have that vPort table shared amongst everyone else. Just to add a, li- just to add a little color there, um, so effectively, we offer a choice. If someone is uh, really keen on building a fabric with BGP EVPN, they can do that. Uh, I'd say right now, 100% of the folks that build a fabric use our SDN control plane. I've been a victim of layer two data extensions plenty of times when I was doing in the real world, right? And it was always just this fear. And then once you got it working, everybody just, you stopped touching the data center switches for fear of causing a wobble, which would then cause an outage. And that ability, and that caused us all sorts of problems in terms of operating the net. We couldn't upgrade it easily. We couldn't add new features. If there was an instability in the operating system that was in the box, we couldn't touch it. So being able to get to the point where you can operate and extend it like a layer two extended network at a high level of confidence, it changes the whole ownership of the switch, right? Completely agreed. Yeah, completely Mm -hmm. agreed. I've written far too many playbooks about how to swing traffic 
uh, off of this layer two domain and allow spanning tree to converge without impacting traffic flows. Yeah. And I'm, I'm crying a little inside just, just thinking about that. <laughs> or, you know, nine o'clock on Friday night with a team of 20 people on standby because you're doing one trivial thing. Then, mm. yeah. And it's, and you, and you know, it's a 50, 50 that it's never going to, it might work or it might not. So Josh, <laughs> back to you, man. How yeah, did you. I, well, I, and, and I just want to throw in with this, um, that for us, when we were looking at how to accomplish the stretching so, uh, so that we could you know, leverage the application kind of or not change it, one of the things that came out of kind of our discovery and talking with some of our, our networking partners was there are many options to do DCI, and it seems like there are many challenges around doing it incorrectly if, if you want to accomplish the... Uh, this stretch, you know, there's just, there's, there's lots of ways to do it wrong, I guess would be, would be a better, a better way of saying it. So in our, in working, it's, it's, it's kind of like, wow, okay. You know, we want to protect ourselves from all the things uh, that you mentioned, right? Because mm. we, we understand that, that we could, you know, this could potentially uh, put our network in a, in a, a uh, you know, in a bad situation right so so we want to protect against that but then we also know that it's not it's you know because there are several different options especially even with within a single vendor how do you go about it and 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 the flip side is working with pluribus to be honest with you they almost trivialized it. it it was it was it was so simple and straightforward to bring up the adaptive cloud fabric and to bring up you know, you, you could do it as a single one. In our case, we ended up choosing uh, two different pods, right? And then just tying them together. And it was, uh, I, like I said, it, it, it was the easy button, if you will. Well, this was not, this was not a net new network for you, I don't suppose. You were, you were installing this uh, fresh, but you had, you were installing the adaptive fabric fresh, but you had some kind of a network in place. And a lot yes. of vendors have solutions here. So how did you end up at even knocking on Pluribus's door as opposed to talking to, I don't know, Cisco, Arista, or Juniper, one of those guys. Um, well, so we certainly talked with, uh, so I, I will tell you where, uh, you know, we, we certainly have Cisco and Juniper in our network. Been a, a pretty strong proponent of, of Juniper, especially in the switching architecture that we had uh, prior to deploying this. And, um, you know, it, it kind of came back to, you know, Dell uh, working with Pluribus uh, provided you know, the best technical solution and also, you know, financially that also works in, you know, I got to be honest, right. <laughs> it's <laughs> what you can, you know, it's, it, 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 they, they presented the best solution, um, you know, kind of looking at it both from a financial perspective, uh, but also looking at it from a, uh, you know, the technology. The, the other thing is, is that some of these vendors, if you look over the last few years have had their, solutions have changed a couple of times to answer this particular question yeah. to, you know how 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 do you implement dci if you ask that you know 10 years ago to cisco and juniper 5 years ago to cisco and juniper 2 years ago to cisco and juniper <laughs> that that's changed right and and yeah. and in some cases yeah. it's changed drastically Right. Oh, yeah. Where, yeah. where their focus was, you know, all SDN, you know, now it's all intent right now. It's, uh, and so and, you're, what you're alluding to there is you feel some of those solutions get overly complicated and overly 
and and come with a bunch of pointless features that don't really do what you want. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, I mean, wh- whether uh, <laughs> so pointless might be strong, but okay, uh, yeah. but in in our case, I mean, we're we're a uh, so we're a smaller company. Um, I don't have uh, a 50 man network team to attack the complexity of uh, vendor X, Y, or Z's solution, regardless of the merit. Right. (laughs) So I think, I think what you're trying to, what you're saying there is that what you wanted was something that did exactly what you wanted to do. You didn't want some product that gave you, you know, box loads of features that you just didn't want to use because you just don't have the resources necessarily to use them. I think one of the challenges with SDN today is that the vendors are trying to expand the use cases and make it more valuable and more relevant to an ever wider audience. But at the same time, they're alienating a certain group of customers who just want a very simple thing done. And so you're choosing a solution which gives you that operational focus. Yes. And 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 in our case, a shop where we're we're a small team that handles lots of things. If if you if you're used to saying, hey, let me go out, let me research, uh, let me make a decision just based on experientially, I have a pretty good idea how, how to architect a network, right? I have mm. a pretty good idea of some of the, certainly the larger vendors and, and they play in this space and let's go look at their architectures. Let's look at their reference architectures. Let's try and match them to our problem set. And, um, and in fairness, as you said, you can get lost in that space for weeks okay okay you can you just really can and 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 it it becomes a scenario of oh my god look here's what i really want to do i want to do this i i want to get back to my business problem i and i understand that and i understand networking and how i need to stretch it i i understand there's some some ways to do this who helps me get there and in in our evaluation you know it it turned out to be uh you know the the pluribus solution uh, on the Dell hardware, and it mm-hmm. it's been it's been very good for us. So, so did you stand up a new fabric with uh, shiny new racks, and then slowly move workloads over into that environment? Was it a replacement? How did you how did you bring it up, and how did you start putting traffic through it? Yeah, absolutely, it was new hardware, and we we set it up and architected it. Now we did have greenfield, brownfield, and we did integrate them and tie them together, right? Uh, you kind of have to, uh, it, unless you're going to do one big cut, which is not realistic. <laughs> uh, so, so we 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 did just as you said. We we uh, you know built out you know the fabric in both data centers, tied them together, got that got that all healthy working. We then were able to okay, now we've got everything stretched. We've got the fabric up. We've tied that back into our brownfield, so it has visibility and connectivity. And then we started moving workloads, uh, you know cabinets at a time, if you will, um, over to the, uh, you know, the newer fabric. Yeah. The new switch. Yeah. Yeah. So that means that you've had a lot of time operating the Pluribus network solution. Has it met, you know, has it been that operational interface where Pluribus is quite, well, you know, I've seen a couple of demos and, and it's actually pretty slick. It's not like sometimes when you're moving through certain vendors, their, their web interface seems to get, uh, big company. Like when you buy com- products from big companies, everybody's got their finger in there and they're saying, add this, add this, add this. Customers want this feature. Product managers want that. Feature. And it just turns to blow. Where I always thought Pluribus was kind of focused. Is that your experience? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say, so coming from a, um, let's see, I don't want to date myself, but so, so coming from a, a Cisco CLI, I love you to <laughs> then 
falling in love with Junos, right? Mm-hmm. And then because she was sexier by a <laughs> yes. lot. Yes, indeed. Right? Yeah. right? I mean, she did stuff <laughs> like like commit and and be able to roll back changed my life. Uh, right. Uh, back in the day. Um, and so, so certainly having, you know, having good familiarity with CLIs and GUIs associated with those platforms and then going to, uh, going to the, the, the Pluribus, the NetVisor and the Adaptive Cloud Fabric, where, you know, I felt really good about being able to do scripting my, my, my Junos, you know, three, 400 line changes, you know, Hey, no problem. You know, that's beautiful. I got it. It's, it's all nicely laid out. Well, the, the, the thing about the pluribus stuff is it's like two lines. Mm. It's, it's, I mean, it just, uh, so, you know, I know when, when we started working with this and, and, uh, early on and Alex is like, well, here, here's how you could do it. And in my mind, I've got about 40 to 50 commands and they have this on their website, right? So it's kind of like, well, is this marketing nonsense? But when you actually start to build it and you know, okay, here's how I would do this in Cisco or here's how I would do this in Junos. And, and I know kind of how I'm going to lay it out, right? I've got to, I've got to build my layer two. Uh, I've got to, you know, assign the interfaces. I've got to, you know, make sure I add it to the right V router. I've got to do all this stuff. And, and so I've got all this lined out and then, then you say, okay, Alex, how do I do this? over here and he's like well you it's that line for this and that line and now there we go we're done and now all that layer two is across every switch in both data centers <laughs> and, <laughs> and and uh and you know it's got the layer three and it's it's like it's it's just there and it takes a minute to actually it took more than a minute it mm. it does take you a while to get comfortable i guess is the better way to say it to understand to you know because you're Network problem solving is always tied to what you understand of the tool set, right? So you, okay, I know how to do this. I know how to, I need to lay these things out. I know, you know, kind of, and so you always kind of approach it from that perspective. And it is a little bit of a step back and, and understand kind of the power of, uh, you know, a handful of commands on the NetVisor side was really uh, blew me away. Right. You, and, you, you just and, said power, Josh. So you and I come from a similar background, lots of Cisco CLI in my background, lots of Juniper CLI in my background, and lots of other CLIs too. And you, when you get that comfort level of device-by-device device management, you know how to troubleshoot things, and you build a VLAN, and you've got this uh, painful process, but you know it. You know how to stand it up and set your spanning tree roots and all that stuff and prune VLANs in all the right places and everything. And then, and then you step – but it's it's this big arduous thing. Then you step back, and it's like a command or two to do it from a centralized perspective, and it's distributed across the fabric, and it works, and it works right the way you want – Again, going back to that word, power, that it, and it's, it takes away a lot of the tedious, boring stuff that engineers have prided themselves on that isn't actually adding a lot of value to life. You know, who cares that you can stand there and configure a VLAN across 50 switches in an afternoon? Don't you just want to write the command and get it done? Finger-defined networking was, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) finger-defined networking was an amazing skill, but you know, let's move on. You know, it really exactly, has gotten exactly. to, to, to my mind, like, like finger, and you will always need finger defined networking to do certain device specific troubleshooting. And there'll be certain things that always will be finger defined. Right. Right. But 
it really is today. You've got to get past that because if you think about it here, people have less incentive to have full-time networking professionals on staff as the industry changes. Some stuff goes to SaaS, maybe some stuff's going to cloud hosting, you know, that sort of stuff. So we've got to get away from that. But we've also got much more complex networks. You've now got an underlay. You've got a layer two extension. Sure, you've yeah. got layer three, right? You've got layer three VLANs or EVPN VLANs or VXLANs on top of that. You've got a range of other services over the top. You've got monitoring and visibility. It's not like the old days. All we did was finger to find the configuration and then wait for it to blow up, which unfortunately would blow up <laughs> far too often, right? <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, the, the world has turned. The world has turned. It's, it's not what it was. Greg, just in uh, describing that whole stack of things that need to be configured, there's so much opportunity to screw it up if you were doing it as as you, as I love the way you put it, finger-defined yeah. networking. Yeah. Yeah, your finger-defined yeah. networking had to be you know, ultimately precise and sometimes, you know, and at the end of the day, even if you're generating your finger-defined networking with Python, that's fine if you were doing it that way from 10 years ago, but we've got so much more with eVPN. I've seen eVPN interfaces with yeah. 250 commands per interface. Mm. Right. It, that's just not, you know, much less the routing protocols and all the stuff that goes with it. Like I mentioned earlier, you can deploy a fabric with EVPN, BGP EVPN with Pluribus, but literally 100% of customers choose to use the SDN control plane. And, you know, if you, if you double click down a little bit, it comes back to the vPort database and the fact that every switch has visibility of the entire fabric. So the entire fabric is actually like a virtual switch. And so if I have 50 switches and I issue a command, that single command that Josh was talking about, create VLAN ID mm. 110 scope fabric, it's effectively a transactional database three-phase commit of that across mm. every switch. And so you, you're 100% sure you've got the same config on every switch. And actually, if one of the switches can't take it for some reason, it's automatically rolled back until that the issue with that switch is resolved. And then mm-hmm. the command can be reissued. Mike, you got you, you brought Josh along today. Um, and we, we understand that customer and what, what Josh is doing with interop technologies. Who's the typical customer that is buying uh, Pluribus? Who's deploying NetVisor and Adaptive Cloud Fabric? Is these service provider folks mostly? or We have a, a, about a 50-50 mix. Um, we, we are seeing a lot of enterprise customers in, in the you know, mid-market size, um, like Interop Technologies, who are deploying this for active-active data centers. Um, we've, we've got, uh, a bunch of banks, um, uh, few in the U S um, we, we've done a lot of work on talking about, uh, a bank called Creval in, uh, Italy who built out an active, active data center, very similar, um, uh, to what, what Josh has done here. Um, and, you know, to, to his point, it's, it's the easy button, right? We're, we're, we're very optimized around being able to help with multi-site data centers. Uh, we also have uh, a number of service provider um, deployments, um, both service providers where we've engaged directly. They're t- typically tier two, either cable operators or telcos or cloud service providers who are building out multiple data centers and, and building fabrics across them. Um, and then... We also have a relationship with a very large mobile network vendor, and we're deployed in over 100 mobile, virtualized mobile cores, 4G and 5G cores, where they, they have you know, large data centers that support um, 
virtualized EPC, virtualized firewall, and that sort of thing. I didn't um, actually so, expect you to say that last customer type there, but that that's interesting, and I I, I get the fit. That uh, it does make sense. Yeah, and, and what's kind of relevant about that is um, we know how to build a carrier grade OS. Um, you know, we've been through the ringer with, especially with some of these larger telco, you know, mobile network operators, and we have the processes, the engineering know-how, the support infrastructure, the professional services infrastructure to support the most demanding environments. Um, so that's that's one of the good things that you know has come out of that last relationship I talked about. Is the play usually active active data centers? Is that like the major use case why people are latching on to Pluribus or are there other use cases that we want to throw in here too? We, we do get deployed in single site data centers. Um, just, you know, if someone has a single site data center that has a decent number of switches and they just want to simplify, you know, not do box by box configuration. Um, and, and also, you know, folks who are looking for the visibility, which we talked about, because it's just built into the solution, right? You get full perflow visibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, I'd say the center of gravity for us is multiple data centers and it doesn't just have to be two it can be you know three or four you know can we have edge deployments with some uh, service providers that span you know six to ten data center kind of thing I, I don't know if this is a question for Mike or one of, one of the other guys but most of these scenarios we just talked about they're all brownfield everybody's got a network that's deployed so if I'm bringing pluribus into the mix, how do I connect that Pluribus adaptive cloud fabric to the rest of the network I've already got? Is there a reference model or something I should follow? So I can I can field that one a bit. Um, when it comes to kind of those brownfield type deployments, a lot of them, it, it really depends on the customer needs and, and how they want to migrate. Like I've had a few hard cut deployments where they wanted to move from one infrastructure to the other. Uh, but... Uh, in other cases, we're able to build out kind of like a, a layer two bridge between the existing network uh, and the Pluribus network. So that way, you know, we can go into a maintenance window, turn down uh, routing in the old and turn up routing in the new or or switching in, in both directions, you know, and, and that way we can ease that migration in. So that way you're still operating on the old equipment, but passing layer two, layer three through Pluribus, and then you can just shift the hosts over as you you know, see fit. Hmm. So we have that functionality to build it out. So often like in a leaf spine uh, sort of a scenario, I've seen you pick a couple of leaf switches that become the edge of that fabric and you use that mm-hmm. to build out your bridge to to the rest of the network. Is it something along those lines? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, oftentimes that's kind of one of our our primary cases for migration for a lot of customers. Yeah. Honestly, if you do that, you're trying too hard. You should make people suffer. It's much more fun. <laughs> Like if you make it too easy for the app guys and the server guys, it's like they don't appreciate you, right? That's the challenge here, right? And uh, so, you know, I, I well, recommend you against that. Some on. outages just to just yeah. play with them, right? Yeah, I know. You know, problem is that when you bridge the layer two space from the legacy space, you do open yourself up to some risk in the legacy space for layer two loops, right? You, the pluribus side can, has got tooling in it, as you talk about the V ports and the tooling you've got for loop prevention in the in the, the net visor. But you also open yourself up to loops inside of the legacy infrastructure. My general, I, one of the things I've learned over years is just say, you know, that, that, that wouldn't be safe. And your life is so much better. Remember that at the end of the day, your job is not to actually work all the hours that God sends. It's actually to go home. So my advice is to try not to do that. Yeah. 
Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's motivation to get everything to the greenfield, right? That's right. Like, uh, yeah. So in, in essence, and, and Alex can keep me, keep me honest here as well. Um, you know, we, we brought up, if you will, the greenfield environments uh, and then uh, essentially tied them back to our course, right? So that's our brownfield environment. Um, and then kind of the first step without migrating anything is we, we then brought up the DCI, right? So for us, you know, we've got multiple connections between the data centers, right? So we just stole a link, right? <laughs> and, 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 and set up our DCI and had that running, if you will, uh, on, on one of those links um, and, and got that going. And so as soon as we had a good feel, had that tied back to the core, we were then able to move all of the inter-data center links over to the DCI. Now, now you're essentially handling your production traffic. Granted, it's, 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 just, it's not participating in that we don't have uh, things uh, tied into the fabric, but it's there now. And it's 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 handling the DCI between the two data centers where that was happening, if you will, um, on the older cores, if you uh, if you think about it, right, mm-hmm. with the connectivity they had. So so now we're prepped, and then we just started moving um, uh, workloads. Then at that point, when we were okay, now we know it's in place, fabric's good, looks good, uh, you know, everything we need. Now let's start moving things, and we just we just did it slowly. Like I said, uh, we we do a couple maintenance windows a week and, uh, and got things going. Now getting to that point took a little bit of time building the greenfield and then also, you know, tying that in from the DCI perspective. I know Alex and I had fun troubleshooting a, uh, an MTU issue, uh, yeah. that we, that we did not know <laughs> we had until we implemented this. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, you know, kind of, certainly it does take a little bit of work, uh, that's kind of the the approach that we took was bring the greenfield up, tie it back. Uh, you know, once you have the DCI where where the the fabric is managing it, then everything just kind of flows from there. So the scheme that you choose to do that um, is really kind of up to you. Uh, you know, you, you kind of have to understand your environment. For us, it was pretty easy. I said, look, I'm going to dedicate you know, one of my connections between data centers just so we can get the, the Greenfield DCI up and running because I think that's important. Once we did, everything just kind of took off. Mm-hmm. And actually, the only thing that I'd just say to add to that, I, I think everything, you know, Josh mentioned is kind of spot on, but we effectively got a small scale VXLAN test with the, the way that we had completed the migration because essentially the connectivity between data centers was coming off the, the cores originally or a branch mm-hmm. off of the core. Um, and so we inserted ourselves basically in between the two devices that were connected yesterday and put in a VXLAN solution between the two data centers and basically validated small scale, you know, only four nodes that that were essentially communicating or, you know, a, a kind of failover pair uh, at each location that VXLAN communication was working, was passing traffic exactly as they had today. Just now, Pluribus is in the middle of it. And that allowed them to then migrate everything over uh, to our hosts. Josh, we've been talking a lot about kind of how you got the thing going. You got it deployed, you got it stood up, you started moving workloads to it. But now I want to talk about some closing thoughts now that you've been living with this Pluribus fabric for a while, some lessons learned, those kind of things. 
Did you do anything cool like with, I don't know, automation? Did you run into any challenges unexpectedly because you changed the architecture out from underneath these legacy applications, that kind of stuff? Sure, sure. Um, well, I mean, on the, if you will, the operation side of things, living with it now, uh, I, I know we mentioned earlier that it, 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 it is changing some of our lives for some of our folks that are that were our CLI jockeys. Right. Uh, but I can tell you, uh, we've, we've got a, a person on our team who's our, um, you know, she's our Python expert and 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 she loves the stuff. Right. So <laughs> uh, it's certainly, you know, it, going back to your power comment. So it's given her a ton more power. <laughs> <laughs> and and for that matter, made it much easier for her to things that she was doing operationally. Um, you know, it's oh, that's all I have to do. I just just that one. You know, I can I can hit it via the API, or I can just do this one command. Oh, uh, yeah, that's okay. a good feature of NetBiser. You know? <laughs> is it? It's that distributed configuration. You configure it on one switch, and then it's on all the switches. Right. Right. Yep. Uh, and there's a whole process to do with commit and rollback and everything in there that we've you know we talked about elsewhere, but that is one of the best features of the NetVisor solution is that you configure it on one. It's done. It's not like each switch has a different configuration. They've all got the same configuration and they just know which part of the configuration is relevant to them. Yep. And on those automation pieces, the the thing that she loves the most, you know, you can do a show out, output uh, for, you know, if you want to automate something around the VLAN, you can do a VLAN show output, but then you can format that output to say this ID this description, this port, and it'll just show you the relevant data that you need to script. So that way you don't have to write a script around those extra fields that display. So I, oh. I know that was a, a big yep. turning point for her. Uh, so, okay, so automation friendly, we've got good things going on with the API that is making the Pythonistas happy. All right, what other, yeah. what other lessons <laughs> did you learn, Josh? Pythonistas, I'm gonna have to tell her that. Um, so, uh, you, you know, uh, it, I meant, you know, we mentioned that, you know, we got the thing running, we got, uh, we've got our apps migrated and deployed. And then we, we did, uh, as we migrated application stacks over, we did have to go back through and, and effectively kind of revalidate all of the, you know, the HA and the performance of the application, because you had, you know, if you will, an application stack that was sitting side by side in a, in a data center, right? An A and B side with, you know, the benefits of, you know, sub one millisecond, yeah. right? Right. Effective, uh, effectively no latency. Yeah. Right. Right. And then now we're stretching it and moving it. And now it lives its B side, if you will, that was just right next door is now 1200 miles away. And so we had to go back through and okay, everything's working, everything's good, everything's beautiful, but now let's focus in on our applications and uh, you know, let's go through the HAs, the anything active, passive, anything, anything that's within the stack, if you will, that was uh, triggering, had parameters, and we had to essentially performance tune those and we had to make changes right uh hey ha uh, keep alive it's okay if the response is uh you know 35 millisecond round trip that's that's okay right. don't trigger a failure mm -hmm. we're good right right had to go back through and and with anything if in your application stacks you know adding 35 milliseconds to to something that is in the in the workflow if you will it, it could mean that you've got to change something from five five seconds to fifteen or to twenty, right? Uh, because that thirty five ends up compounding in yeah. in the whole process, right? Uh, without 
getting into too much detail. So you you got to have to analyze kind of how your application was was initially built in that environment and just make sure that you performance tune and you change your parameters, yes, to to be appropriate so that your application still fails over if something needs to trigger an alarm, if something needs to stoneth something, uh, you know, that it's able to do that, but it's still appropriate to the situation and not because you've added this latency, uh, you know, between uh, the A and B side, if you will. All good thoughts. Thank you, Josh, for uh, appearing on Heavy Networking today. Mike, uh, a closing question for you. I'm I'm assuming you guys are modern and hip, and you're going to make it easy for me to test NetVisor. Can you uh, tell me how to do that? Uh, sure. Yeah, we have. Um, obviously, you can you can come to our website, um, pluribusnetworks.com. Uh, you can hit the contact us button. We have uh, trial capabilities where we've got uh, licenses that are not for resale and we can uh, help you get those deployed. Um, we talked earlier that we're brownfield interoperable. So we have that magic inside the fabric that we talked a lot about uh, that has lots and lots of benefits. But when we communicate to anything outside the fabric, we use all standard protocols. Um, so we can interoperate with any spine switch. Um, you can just you know, deploy a pair or two pair of leafs um, in a data center. Um, and we can operate with any kind of WAN router, you name it. Um, so uh, yeah, just give us a, a ring or an email or a contact us and uh, we'll get we'll get you set up. Great stuff. That's all pluribusnetworks.com on Twitter at pluribusnet. You can find them on LinkedIn as well. And our thanks to Pluribus Network for sponsoring today's episode and to special guest Josh Colazzo for taking the time to discuss his network with us, our sponsors and special guests. Keep the wheels on the bus here at the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. And if you like nerdy engineering content like this, be sure to check out our other shows, no matter what part of the IT stack you tend. Maybe your job is to think big, strategic thoughts. Try the Heavy Strategy Podcast, where Jonathan Johnson and Greg Farrow have challenging conversations about difficult technology. Maybe cloud engineering is your thing. Try Day 2 Cloud, where Ned Bellavance and I get nerdy about all the cloudy things. And don't forget, we have a Slack group and a newsletter, 100% free. Find all of these resources at packetpushers.net. Click the links, do the things. We do not track you. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. Ha! You thought we were done. Almost. Just a quick reminder, Blurbus is going to be back on February 25th, 2022, to talk about how their overlay supports rich layer 3 services, as well as some new features that enable container-to-container -container flow telemetry inside of Kubernetes clusters. We will see you then.